Go ahead and turn over to Matthew 13. Yeah, last night I was doing uh, some financial stuff on the computer and my wife walked in and she proceeded to tell me a bunch of stuff about future events in our calendar. And she was clear and eloquent and detailed it out. I think there were three different events that she wanted to let me know about. And as soon as she finished, it was one of those moments where I realized, I have no idea what you just said. Now, you have various possible paths you can go down at that moment. You can act like you knew. But the problem is, that's not in your calendar. You can kind of wing it, you know, that's like you meet somebody and, uh, hey, what's your name? Da, 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 da. And then like 30 seconds later, you forget what their name was. But now they want to meet your friend. So you either can take the humble path, you know, or you can be really creative and go, yeah, I forgot how to smell your last name. Oh, S-M-I-T-H. Oh, yeah, Smith, that... That can be complicated. Um, you know, you can, hey, this is brother, <laughs> sister. So at that moment, I just said, honey, I, I'm sorry. I, I have no idea what you just said. Let me not look at the computer and let's do it again. And so I stopped and I looked at her and then she repeated everything again. And I got it that time and I, I put it in the calendar so it's, it's all set now. So I won't, you know, if she was talking about something with you, I won't um, ignore you. So that'll be good. But every parent knows this interaction. You know, you have your child and there's something that you want them to do. And you, you look them right in the eye and you go, okay, I would like for you to go and clean your room and then wash your hands and then come down because we're going to have dinner. And they look at you right in the eye and go, what? <laughs> Parents, have you been there? Okay. You know, and sometimes, just for fun, I said absolutely nothing. And a few seconds pause, and then they answer. It's like it just took a while to register. But th this is a sermon about understanding and hearing the message. And in Matthew chapter 13, uh, we're going to read verse 1 to 23. Is that same day Jesus went out the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. 
It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he will, uh, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For these people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life, the seedfulness of wealth, choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus had a large crowd. It was so large that he got out there on a boat. And spoke to them from the water. You know, the, the Lord knew acoustics well. And he knew that sound waves travel well on the water. So, you know, if he was speaking to them on land, it would be absorbed. So he got out in the water. And so that way the sound waves echoed. Because he didn't have his Fender Passport PA system. You know, didn't have a sound crew. So just being Jesus, he knew. You know, you put acoustic principles in practice and you can address the large crowd. You know, I want to start in verse 10 to 17 because you, you read that part and they're like, hey, why are you speaking in parables? You know, why don't you just give them the point? Why don't you just spell it out? Why don't you just tell them, you know, you're in sin and you need to repent and here's what your sins are. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And you read this and you're like, wait, it almost sounds like. He tricks them on purpose because that way they won't hear. He says, wait, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand. And then I would heal them. It's like, wait, is he speaking in a parable so they don't get healed? You see, and you can go back and you read Isaiah's quote in context and what's going on. And, and Israel had the truth of God's word, but they were obstinate. They were hard-hearted. They had so many opportunities. 
and they'd wasted them again and again and again and again. And here's the analogy that I come up with. It's, it's kind of like the opportunity to get a college degree. Now, sometimes when you're in college, you can think it's a curse and not an opportunity. Uh, but there are some countries in the world where families will work their entire life just to be able to send the oldest child away to college in hopes of making a better life. You know, college is not mandatory. It's an opportunity. That's mandatory that you go to school, uh, but not college. That's a choice. And I like to think about a professor or a TA because I think they would relate to what Isaiah is saying. You know, they're up there and they're, they're giving their lectures and they're teaching and they're, they're trying to relate truth. And you got this whole audience and students' response to what they're saying goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. There's those who are sitting in the front row because they want to pay attention. And then there's those that are sitting in the back row because they want to be able to text or nod off and not distract the teacher. Hope none of that's going on in the back row here. Don't see anyone asleep back there. But if you've ever gone to the professor and asked a question that he just clearly stated, you probably aren't going to get the warm fuzzies from him. Like, well, I just explained that in class. Oh, I wasn't at class. Why? Well, I wanted to sleep in. I was busy. I had something more important going on. There was a sporting event I wanted to see or a new movie came out and you know, I wanted to see the matinee show because it's a lot cheaper. You know, or, or you say, hey, you know, I want to know what's going to be on the final exam. Well, I, I went over that in class. Well, you know what? I wasn't paying attention in class. I was there and I heard everything you said, but I wasn't paying attention. And so now I want some private tutoring. Professor says, no. You had your chance. You see, it's kind of the same way. The opportunity to understand the message is a privilege given by God. It is not a guaranteed right. That's why Jesus says in John 6, no one can come to the Father unless He's enabled them. You go, does that mean that not every single person gets equal opportunity. Yeah, that's exactly what it means. That the opportunity to respond to the gospel is a privilege. It is not a right. The fact that you are here today is a privilege. It's not a right. And you have a couple of choices. You can make the most of your opportunity or you can waste it. But if you waste it, what Jesus is saying is God will get to a point where he'll go, fine. No more truth for you. I'll make it complicated for you. 
I'll make it so you can't understand. You know what? You can keep coming, but you're never going to figure it out. You know why? Because I'm going to harden your heart because you've rejected the word so many times. I think too often, especially for those who are young, 44 and under. That's where I define young, so you know. We want to believe, hey, I can say no to God again and again and again and again. But eventually... I'll say yes. I don't want to have to do it now because I'm busy and there's, you know, certain life experiences I want to be able to enjoy. And I know if I say yes to God now, then those things are sinful. So I can't do it. So I'm just going to wait. And then when I'm ready, then I'll say yes. No, because the problem is you're wasting the privilege opportunity that God is giving you. So if you have the ability to respond to the message right now, that's a privilege that God has given you. Don't waste the opportunity. I mean, I, I love uh, in, in a couple of the other accounts in Mark and uh, Luke's account of the same thing. You know, this discussion that we just read there was prompted because when they go uh, aside alone, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, what's up with that parable? And Jesus is like, don't you understand this parable? If you don't understand this parable, how are you going to stand the rest? But Jesus gave him extra tutoring and he said, okay, here's what it means. And here's what's going on. And here's why. You know, as a minister, many people will say, you know, I just wish God would take one section of one passage and say, okay, everybody listen up. Here is the plan of salvation. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And anything outside of this is wrong. This is exactly it. Anything that resembles it but is not 100% it is wrong. Why doesn't God just do that? Same reason here. The Bible is written so that it is clear to the open heart and confusing to the heart that doesn't want to obey it in the first place. Don't waste the privilege. Now, let's go to the parable of the sower. He talks about the seed, and he says, it's the word of God. And he says, there's, there's different soils here. There's the path. He says, what's this represent? He said, well, when the message is preached, when the word of God is out there, when you have that opportunity, and it says, and you fail to understand, then Satan comes and snatches it away. You know, Satan is trying to do that right now. He's trying to distract you right now. Maybe it's through an email you just got on your phone. 
or a text message. And I'm not saying the person who sent it to you is Satan. The preacher told me you were Satan. If the person who sent it to you is in this room right now, then yeah, Satan's influencing in a great way. I'm assuming it came from outside of this room. You know, what what distracts us from getting the word in our heart? Sometimes fatigue. Or just tired. You ever try to pay attention when you're tired? It's hard. So, well, how much sleep did you get last night? Not very much. Why? Okay, if you had to work, amen, you had to work. If you didn't have to work and you didn't get enough sleep, then that's on you. Do you set yourself up for good worship? When I went dates as a single and a college student, I'd get my date home early. You know why? Because I wanted her to have a good worship service the next day. As a spiritual leader, I love spending time with Cheryl, but I want her to have a good worship. Because she'll be a better girlfriend and now a better wife if she has a good worship service. And me too. She's not the only one. Yeah, sometimes laziness. You ever heard the word of God and go, well, I'm just not sure what that means. Oh, well. That's just being lazy. I mean, if if somebody said, here is a diamond ring worth a million dollars and it's in this little lockbox and I have written directions for you how to open it up. Would you read the direction and go, well, I don't know what that means, so, oh, well, you can have it. You'd go, well, I'd try harder. I get linguistics experts. I would, I would do what I can to figure it out. I would pray about it. I would study it. I'd work hard because I want to know. Laziness will prevent it. You know, sometimes... Our own emotional roadblocks. Well, how does that work? Well, it's where you walk in here going, you know, I'd hope the sermon's good, but I'm not going to do this. I don't care what he says. I don't care what verse he reads. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to change my belief on this. I'm not going to accept this. Now, hope it's a good sermon. You know what I find is when you study the Bible with people, the things that are the hardest for people are not the theoretical passages in the Bible. It's the emotions. It's how we were raised. It's what our grandma believes. It's what a minister told us when we were little. It's what generations of our family believe to be true. It's what the majority believes. You know, when did, when did the majority belief ever equal truth? And yet that's an emotional block. If this is true, then what does this mean? Okay, I can't accept it. 
No, and so we won't go there. We refuse to understand. We make a choice to say no because of an emotional roadblock. Say, how do we overcome that? Go to James 1. You know what? Put your marking device in Matthew 13. We will be back. Hebrews, James, chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. What's the simplest way to be the seed on the path? Keep the word of God only intellectual. Obedience breaks the cycle. You say, I don't want to be seed on the path. Then do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word. You can hear the words and be completely disobedient. It's a seed on the path. The next one. It's the rocky soil. Well, Jesus says there's a couple things about the rocky soil. He says it's, it's shallow. He says there's no root. And when trials or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. So what's it mean to have no root? It means they're disconnected from Jesus. Go to John 15. John 15, verse 5 and 6. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown to the fire and burned. Say, to be connected to the root is to remain in the vine. It's, it's being connected to Jesus. It's that daily relationship with him. You know, a plant can survive for a little bit in shallow soil. And so can a Christian. You'll survive for a while. You won't make it long term, but you'll survive for a while. Because at some point, the troubles in life will be big enough, hard enough, tempting enough that your lack of connection to Jesus will show itself for what it is. You know, sometimes we look at our daily relationship with God. We call it a quiet time. It's our prayer and personal Bible study. And we think, oh, you know, that's just some kind of church thing. Yeah, you don't really have to do that to be a Christian. You know what the truth is? You don't. You don't have to do it to be a Christian. You have to do it to stay a Christian. You don't have to talk to your spouse to be married. 
But you do if you want to have a good marriage. You see how the analogy works there? Same kind of thing. You know what? People who are connected to Jesus go, oh, absolutely. And sometimes you think, well, how could anyone not think that? But isn't it amazing how Satan works? And some of the most disconnected from Jesus' people will be the ones that will be defensive about this point. They will accuse you of being legalistic. Oh, bro. That's just legalistic. I mean, that's, like, that's old school. Yeah, it goes all the way back to Jesus. It is old. You're right. That's like 45 and over school. 44. It's young. That's right. Say, are, are you connected? Let me, let me tell you how to know if you're connected. You live because of your convictions in what the Bible says. Not somebody else's. You know, there's times where you're doing lousy and you can survive off somebody else's faith. But if, if your daily Christianity is lived according to somebody else's convictions, you will fail. Because when trouble or persecution comes, you will wither. Yeah, you know, let me talk about persecution here for a moment. Go to 2 Timothy 3. Persecution is a test for true Christians. Persecution is not for the unsaved. Persecution is only for the lost. Persecution has one purpose. To try and get the the saved to quit. And uh, Paul knew this, and Timothy was facing it. And look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is a promise. You can't live the Christian life without making enemies. You say, well, I want my parents' approval. I want my kids' approval. I want my boss's approval. I want my roommate or my professor or my coach or neighbor's approval. You know what? That is not guaranteed as a Christian. What is guaranteed is if you want God's approval, you will be persecuted. You know how Satan works? You get persecuted and you know what the first thing you think is? What am I doing wrong? Why is this happening? You know, there must be something wrong. Maybe it's something wrong with the church. Maybe there's something wrong with my Bible talk. Maybe there's something wrong with my leader. You know, because, you know, why would people be upset? Why would somebody write something bad? If we were really doing what is right. Same reason Paul told Timothy. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Shallow soil wants the approval of people. 
the people that mean most to you may hate the decisions you make as a Christian. And you're going to have to decide whose approval you want. See, the, the rocky soil, it's, it's shallow. There's, there's moments of great joy. You hear it and it makes sense and you're excited. But instead of doing the hard work of staying connected and, and developing those roots, you skimp. And at some point it takes you out because the trouble gets too hard. Then finally, the thorny soil. And she says this, two different things here, worries and wealth. Let's go over to Matthew 6. Let's talk first about wealth. Verse 19 to 25, we're just going to read the first three verses. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus talking about the thorns. He said if your treasure is anything that death can take away, it will choke you out. You know, the thing about a weed is you don't just like do great and then in an instant it takes you out. It's a process. It happens slowly over time. You don't even realize it's happening, but your heart drifts. You know, your treasure started on God. And now your master has become something else. You say, well, how do, how do I know what my treasure is? How do I know what's my master? I always say, uh, you know, the two most spiritual documents that you have with your personal life, your checkbook and your calendar. Because it shows what you value. It shows what you're living for. It shows you what gets your first and best and most important energy and resources. You cannot serve two masters. He doesn't say you should not. He says it is impossible. You can't. You can't make them both number one. Something will give. This is wealth. We said last week, wealth isn't the problem. It's whether or not wealth is your treasure. You can absolutely be wealthy and have your treasure in eternal things. Second section he talked about with the thorny soils, the worries of life. And Jesus talks about this at the end of chapter 6. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, how life's going to work out, and how this is going to be, and what's going to happen a month from now and a year from now. Psychologists have said 90% of what we worry about never, ever happens. That's why Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Are you preoccupied with worry? 
do you wake up in the morning? Refreshed? Optimistic? Like, how do you feel about your day? Is it, ah, made it through another day? Like, is that life to the full? Are you dreading the future? Are you looking forward to it? What's your, what's your mentality? I mean, worry can be paralyzing. Anxiety grips us to the point we can't even function. Are you a worrier? Let, let me say yes if somebody says, hey, you want to study the Bible? And your first thought is, I can't. Because if I do, then that's going to mean this and this. And then for the future and having to figure this out. And I don't know. And I don't have enough time. And da, 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 da. If, if you go there when somebody says, let's study the Bible. Yes, you are a worrier. It's a thorny soil. Chokes us out. Making it unfruitful. You know, at the end of Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, remember where we started, we're talking about understanding, not wasting the privilege opportunity that each one of us has this morning. This is the final soil. They get it all right. They hear it and they understand it. They put it into practice. They, they, they go after it. Say, what will you do? Oh, you heard the sermon. What are you going to do with it? What decision will you make? You say, you know, Ron, great sermon, but not today. Maybe next week. Uh, remember where we started? It says, eventually God says, I've had enough of your hard-heartedness. No more truth for you. I'm going to make it more difficult for you. Because you, you have spurned the, the privilege opportunity too many times. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed next week or next month. God is speaking to you today saying, respond to the message. Hear what it says. Don't waste the opportunity. You know, the good news is however one of these bad soils can be changed. And so we can have the response that God wants us to have. You know, I really pray that you will not be like me last night with my wife where you hear the sermon and go, wait, I have no idea what you just said. But the message is taken to heart. Say, do what it says. Put it into practice. Let's be the noble and good soil. What's God's plan? To bear much fruit. How much? 30, 60 or a hundred times what was sown. That's what God wants for our life. Let's put it into practice as we hear the message and respond to it. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.